This morning we're going to discuss decisions. Everybody say decisions. And decisions are important because many times God's blessing comes in the form of opportunities. But opportunities have expiration dates. So at times your blessing is contingent on you making the right decision at the right time. In ministry, growing up and living my life in ministry, we've seen this so many times. People, for instance, they have an amazing gift musically. They have an amazing gift to sing, amazing gift to play an instrument, amazing gift to write music. But they never made the decision. They never pulled the trigger on their career. And by the time they finally get ready to do it, the window of opportunity is closed. We've seen people that had great business acumen, had a great idea, a great plan, great product. They were stuck in a dead-end job, wanted to break free, start their own business. But they put the decision on pause so long that the window of opportunity passed them by. So sometimes it's not that God is not giving the blessing. It's that we are not making the right decisions in the right times. Decisions are your power to walk through the doors of opportunity that God blesses you with. I'm going to say that again. I want it to sink. Decisions are your power to walk through the doors of opportunity that God blesses you with. So that means there's a direct correlation between your decisions and your destiny. I'm going to say that again. I want it to sink. There's a direct correlation between your decisions and your destiny. What is destiny? It's the destination. It's where your life is going to end up. So if you look at your destiny, the destination, the end, you ought to be able to trace your decisions because your decisions are the steps to the destination. And when your decisions do not line up with your destiny, you end up walking in circles with great intentions but no real movement. Spending a lot of energy, but not going anywhere. And I don't know about you, I'm ready to move. I don't want life to pass me by. I don't want time to pass me by. I want to go forward and get to the next stage, the next step towards where my destination is going to end up. So number one, you cannot make good decisions with poor information. We all know this. It's common sense. I'm going to say it again. Somebody's ears need to hear it. You cannot make good decisions with poor information. Have you ever made a decision and then afterwards more information came out? And you just feel so silly. And you say stuff to yourself like, if I'd have known that. Like a judge sentences someone to prison, and then new DNA evidence comes out, and the lawyer presents it, and they have to overturn the decision. Why? Because more information came out. If I'd have known that. It, it, it's kind of funny. It, it reminds me of uh, when I had first started uh, preaching and ministering a little bit. I was in my early 20s. And my dad had done so much marriage counseling through the years that he decided he wasn't doing marriage counseling anymore. So he put that on my plate, and uh, I was scared to death because not only was I a young minister, I wasn't married, and I didn't think I had any business counseling married people on what to do. So my first marriage counseling session, 
uh, I'm on pins and needles anyway. But the couple comes in and they are so cordial. They are so nice. Their communication towards me and each other was marvelous. They walked in the office there and the husband situated the chair for the wife and they just, the exchanges were so respectful and honorable. It was amazing. And I thought, well, what are y'all even doing needing marriage <laughs> counseling? So I, I said, oh, I'm really in trouble now. And, and I, I sat down and I said, so why are we here? And the wife, as, as respectfully as she could, she didn't have any shade behind this statement, but she said, our friendship is wonderful. Our communication is cordial and respectful. He's a great provider. I just wish that he would have told me that he was gay before we got married. And she wasn't insulting him or slandering him. She just wanted to know that information before she walked down the aisle because that information might have changed. I got some horror stories in, in counseling sessions. One guy told me, he just came right out with it. He said, I wish she would have told me she was bipolar and $100,000 in debt before we walked down the aisle. But information frames. And at this point, I'm not telling you you either should do it or you shouldn't. I'm saying if you're going to make a decision, you want to gather as much information as you possibly can because the information gives you valuable insight before you pull the trigger. Look at your neighbor and say, get the information. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And I tell you, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to finish in our relationships, in raising children, in our business lives, in our ministry lives, in our service to him. He wants us to be able to finish. But you've seen it. I've seen it. We've all experienced it. So many people start things out with great intentions, but they are not able to finish the decision that they made because they did not first sit down and calculate the cost. If you're going to buy a house, get all the information that you can. If you're buying a vehicle, get all the information that you can. If you're going for a promotion at work, get all the information that you can because it may be more money, but it may require much more time than you are willing to give. It may be more money, but it may require much more pressure and responsibility than you are willing to give. So get the information before you make the decision. Now, remember, your decisions need to line up with your destiny or destination. I ought to be able to look at the steps, the decisions that you've made, and tell where your life is heading. And all of us have a sense of this. Intrinsically, we know it. And yet, sometimes we make dumb decisions. Have you ever? Why are you looking at me like that? Have you ever made a dumb decision? 
Have you ever thought about what causes us to do that? It's a couple of things. Number one, sometimes it's just being dumb for dumb's sake. And if you're into doing stuff that's dumb for dumb's sake, I don't have a message for you. I can't help you. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to believe God for your best. But the other thing that causes us to make dumb decisions is that we rush. We go in too quick. We speed through the process. We don't get the information. We get impatient, and we just do it. And now we're living with the repercussions of decisions we made in haste. An ignorant man said to me one time, when you don't know what to do, just do something. But that's what's wrong with some of us. We jump into stuff and then hope it works or pray that it works instead of putting the time in on the front side to see if it's a good decision. And you can make a snap decision without thinking and it impact and change for the negative the next 20 years of your life. Some people have done this. They've made a dumb decision when they are young and it has followed them around for decades. And secretly, you're bitter and you're angry. Not with other people. You're mad at yourself because you made a decision that had lasting repercussions. What causes us to rush? If you really break it down and think about it, what causes us to rush? Well, fear for one thing. And I, I really love this one. The uncomfortability of uncertainty. When you're going through a situation and things are up in the air, things are uncertain, you're not really sure, it's like torture on your psyche. It's very uncomfortable when you're in a situation where your relationship is unsure, or you're in a situation where your finances are unsure, or your housing situation is unsure, your job situation is unsure. And a lot of times, we try to decide our way back to security and back to safety, and back to certainty. And sometimes we decide and make the wrong choice trying to escape the uncomfortability of uncertainty, and it lands us in worse trouble than we were in in the first place. And then a paranoid, nervous mind can cause you to rush decisions. One of the side effects of willful sin committing willful sin, what the Bible calls iniquity. That's doing something that you know you shouldn't do, but doing it anyway, regardless of the fact that you know it's wrong. One of the side effects of that is paranoia. And paranoia robs you of peace. And the best place to make a great decision is in a peaceful mind. But to those of us who have failed in our decisions and made dumb decisions and are living with difficult circumstances because of our decisions, God has a promise in his word. Go back to Psalms 25, verse 8. We're going to walk through our text. Psalm 25, verse 8. And we're going to pray some things together corporately today. I'm going to encourage you to lift up your hands and make some certain prayers and declarations. If you feel it, if your heart's sincere, do it. You don't have to participate, but if you want to, you should. 
Psalms 25, verse 8. When you have it, say, I got it. If you don't have it, look at the screen. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Upright means righteous. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Look at the juxtaposition there. He's saying, God is so good and so upright or righteous. Well, how, is, how good is he? How righteous is he? He's so good and so righteous that he'll even teach sinners in the way. Or he'll lead sinners in the way that they should go. God likes to spend. Now, I've heard a lot of messages lately about sin and about how mad God is at everybody. And I want to tell you, if you just read the Bible, that's the problem with a lot of ministers. They minister, but they don't read a lot of the Bible. If you just read the Bible, you will find out God's primary attribute is not anger. His primary attribute is not discipline. His primary attribute is not always trying to push you and, and mold you into something. God's primary attribute is love. He is so good and he is so righteous and he is so loving that he'll find sinners. The word sin there in the Hebrew means to miss the mark. It's like an archer with a bow and arrow aiming at a target and missing the mark constantly. That's what a sinner is. Don't get caught up on the morality piece of it. A sinner is somebody that just continually misses the mark. They miss the mark of their purpose. They miss the mark in their relationships. They miss the mark in their families. They miss the mark in their finances and their lives are totally off of course. But he said God is so upright and so good and so loving that God will take somebody who's been missing the mark their entire life. He will put his hand on them and then lead them in the way. He'll show them the way that they should go. He'll teach them the path that they should choose. He will get involved in their lives, not because they are good and not because they deserved it, but because he he is so good and because he is so upright. In fact, God needs a big sinner so he can show off his big goodness, his big grace, his big kindness. God needs somebody whose life is falling apart because of the bad decisions that they have made so that he can show off how good he is. And his goodness becomes magnified when he blesses the life of someone that absolutely does not deserve it. His goodness becomes glorified and magnified to all who see when he helps and increases somebody that was just on the wrong road. That the, the, in the text, if you like text work, the therefore is the key to that whole verse. It's like he's saying this is how good God is. This is how righteous God is. This is how merciful God is. This is how big God is. God can afford to spend his resources of grace and mercy and love and instruction and wisdom. He can afford to spend it on sinners who are going in the wrong direction and lead them in the right way. Oh, that's a good God right there. That's a good God right there. So listen, if you're one of those people who have made bad choices and you've made so many bad choices that you feel like God's done with you, that God don't want to hear from you, that your life is over, that's your verse. Because of the goodness of the Lord, the righteousness, the uprightness of the Lord, 
He teaches sinners in the way. Verse 9, the humble he guides. Look at that. Look at that. The humble he guides. Now, if you look at Psalms 25, the whole psalm, this psalm of David, is about decisions, directions. Where am I going? You'll hear over and over again, he teaches them in the way. He guides them. It's all about God getting involved with people who have made wrong choices and bad decisions. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Oh, I love it. When you've got a situation that you do not know how to handle, if you are humble and you go before God and you just pour out the situation in prayer, God will show you how he would do it. Oh, I love it. When I'm asking for advice and I call other people, I always sort of frame it like this. I say, if you were me in this situation, what would you do? And I like doing that because it takes them, it, it takes them away from the sidelines of my situation. Because a lot of people like to give you advice from the sidelines, but they ain't in the game. And, and it, it, it just doesn't apply all the time. So I try to put them in my shoes. I try to give them all the information. Now, if you were me, what would you do? And this is what this verse means. God, if you're humble and you go before him and you say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what choice to make. I don't know how to move. I got, a, I got an offer for another job, but I'm planted in a good job. I don't know which decision to make. God, if you were me, what would you do? And it says, if you're just humble and you go to God, he will tell you what he would do. The humble, he teaches his way. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Everybody say it. Mercy and truth. Say it again. Mercy and truth. Those two words are the key to the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Those two words are the key to the entire scripture. The scripture is neither all mercy nor all truth. Because truth without mercy can be deadly. Mercy without truth can be lascivious, no uh, constraints, no guidelines. So God is the perfect balance of mercy and truth. You ought to be careful who you listen to when they're preaching. You ought to be careful what literature you read. You ought to be careful what you expose your ears and your spirit to. Anytime you hear too much truth and no mercy, there's a problem. Anytime you hear too much mercy and no truth, there's a problem. Always look for the balance in preaching. If you're reading and studying books or you're listening to commentaries or whatever you're doing, this is for people who like to study their Bible. Always watch for the balance of mercy and truth. In the scripture speaking about Jesus, they said something similar in John chapter 1. It said that Jesus was full of both grace, that's the mercy, and truth. There's no, there's no um, uh, tendency to, to lean towards one or the other at any time in Jesus. There's no tendency to lean towards one or the other at any time in God's word. It's always two congruent lines, mercy and 
and truth at the same time. I speak that over your life, that since your God has those attributes, you would have those attributes, that in your relationships, you would operate in both mercy and truth. Operate in enough truth to tell people lovingly, confront them, and tell them when they're wrong, and enough mercy to forgive them and to fix the relationship. Operate in enough truth to know you got to get your financial house in order and live within some guidelines and some budgets, but enough mercy to not be so rigid that you don't enjoy life along the way. The perfect balance of mercy and truth. In the name of Jesus, say mercy and truth. And then he says, verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Now, every time I, I preach and the word iniquity comes up in the scripture, I always like to remind you it's not just a sin. Iniquity is not just a sin. Iniquity is repetitive sins and cycles of choices where you know it's wrong, but you do it over and over and over again. And David is admitting to God, God, I'm not just a sinner. I am a person that's full of iniquity. But he asks God to pardon his iniquity and notice the means whereby he asks God to do it. He said, God, do it for your name's sake. Do it for the sake of your character. Forgive me of my sin. Pardon my iniquity for the sake of your own character. Now, in the Old Testament, God was known for his mercy, and he was known for his grace, and he was known for his kindness. But if in the Old Testament God was known, one of the names of God was mercy and forgiveness. If in the Old Testament David thought so much of the mercy of God to say, God, my iniquity is so great, but I'm asking you to forgive me for your own name's sake. In the Old Testament, they didn't know nothing about Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the cross. In the Old Testament, he hadn't been to the whipping post. In the Old Testament, they weren't served communion. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, God manifested himself in flesh form, in the form of Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross for no other purpose but to receive the punishment, the full punishment of our weight of sin and iniquity and bad choices and missing the mark. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace and wholeness was laid upon him and by his stripes were healed. And the name of Jesus, every time you speak it, is a reminder to heaven that heaven sent a savior to earth to die, to bleed, and to suffer. And the Bible says God was so pleased with what Jesus Jesus did suffering on the cross that he exalted his name above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee would bow in heaven in earth in under the earth that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so if you are a sinner or if you've been committing iniquity if things are wrong in your life right now you can pray this verse with much more power than David prayed because when David prayed it he was calling on Jehovah but when you pray it you can call the name of Jesus and say God 
God, for your name's sake, for Jesus' name's sake, will you forgive my iniquity? And that's point number two. When you're pushed in a box and you have to make a choice and you don't know to go left or to go right, number two, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. And it's as simple as this verse. Repentance doesn't have to be this awful, terrible, horrible thing. It's as simple as this verse. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What I love about David, he admits, I'm a great sinner. In fact, the only thing greater than my sin is your name. Oh, do you feel it? Oh, do you feel it? If you've got some stuff wrong and you need God to be pulled into your decisions, the first thing you need to do is repent before him for the things that you have done wrong. For your namesake, God, forgive my sin. Pardon my iniquity. Get your relationship right with God again, and then you can pull him into your decisions. And I want to tell you, you don't have to stay up all night and walk the floor. You don't have to take all those pills till you're out of your mind. You don't have to abuse your body with all that stuff just to find the peace to get through the day. Get your relationship right with God. God is not angry with you. He loves you. He's been drawing you. Some of you didn't even want to come today, but something pushed you to come because God wanted you to hear. He loves you. He wants you. He desires you. He wants to be in the middle of your choices and your decisions, but turn to him in repentance repentance and he will get inside of the situation involved in what you are going through then verse 12 he says who is the man that fears the Lord him he shall teach watch the verse those of you that gotta make tough calls him he shall teach in the way he chooses in other words he's saying I'll teach you how to make choices. Throw up both your hands and say, teach me how to choose. Whether it's in your family, in your finances, making a move, maybe moving out of state, maybe moving the family somewhere, maybe something in your marriage, maybe something with your child or their school or what they're going through in life. Teach me how to choose. Teach me how to make the right choices. I don't want to spend the rest of my life living out the results of bad decisions and the consequences of making poor decisions. Teach me how to choose. He said he will teach him how to choose verse 13 if you do those things this is a prophecy he himself shall dwell in prosperity you make a few good decisions over the next couple of years and the next 10 years can be you dwelling in prosperity can you see yourself living in a home of peace and not chaos can you see yourself with healthy relationships with your family members? Can you see yourself independent financially and strong and able to do whatever you need to do and still be generous to the world around you? Can you see yourself in a place of wholeness? That's what that word prosperity means. Wholeness, strength, everything prospering, prospering in your health. Sometimes God, you know, God can give you wisdom on what food you should eat. I, I, Katie, Katie really teaches me a lot of things. Uh, I'm grateful for that component, a lot of components, but, but that, 
component in our marriage. Katie teaches me a lot of things. She got a prophetic word from someone that said, you've got a vitamin deficiency, you need to go to the doctor and have them draw uh, your blood and do labs and find out what deficiency it is. Now, I've had people give me words like that, and I just, okay, and, and I just move forward, don't even, don't even consider it, because I don't really like going to the doctor. I'm the only one in here that don't like to go to the doctor, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I would just rather treat my issues like, well, it came, and the same way it came, it'll go, you know? And so, but I mean, she grabbed onto that prophetic word, and she went to the doctor, and it found out she was like 17 times lower than she should have been in a specific vitamin. And, and that one word from God fixed that issue. You can get one word from God concerning your health and then make a choice and choose your way. Instead of medicating your way, you can choose your way. Instead of trying to, to escape and running away, you can choose your way into wholeness and prosperity in every area of your life if you'll bring God into the process. And then this last part of this verse is so special to me. You make good choices. You bring God into the choices. You bring God into the fold. Not only will you dwell in prosperity, but your children shall inherit the earth. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying your good decisions can not only bless you, but they can bless your babies. Now, a lot of us have had to deal with the painful reality of our bad choices hurting our kids. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. You made a bad choice, and as a result of the choice, uh, your child has to deal with some things they wouldn't have had to deal with had you not made the choice. It's a painful thing. It's the thing, kind of thing that eats at your mind. But if the negative of that equation is true, then how much more is the positive of that equation? That if your bad decisions can hurt your children, your good decisions can bless them and cause them to be prosperous. And look what it says. Your good decisions will cause them to have an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. The next couple of decisions, for those of you that, that are in this spot in life that I came to talk to this morning, these next couple of decisions that you're going to make, if you will bring God into the fold, these next couple of decisions will be affecting your children for the next 10 years in a positive way. It will strengthen them. It will bless them. It will elevate them. It will open doors for them that would not have opened any other way if you hadn't made the decision. Our children shall be blessed. In fact, Father, right now, from this day, starting this day, the people that made the decision to bring their children to your house today and left them over in the next building, worshiping your name and hearing your word, let the inheritance start today. Let strength begin to fall on our next generation. Let strength begin to fall on our children. Let prosperity and blessing begin to mark their way. Let them be marked different from the other people in the world because your presence and your spirit and and your anointing is with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Throw up both your hands and say, my children shall be blessed. Say it again like you mean it. My children shall be blessed. 
Say it one more time. Teach me what to choose. Verse 14. He says, now, I've been wanting to get to this all morning. He says, oh, this just gets me. Verse 14. Verse 14. Psalms 25. Verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The word fear means reverence, honor, and respect. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, if you respect, honor, reverence the Lord, he'll tell you secrets. This, I want you to understand this. This isn't a maybe or a might. This is a definitive promise from the God that created this universe. And if you believe that God created the world and all that's in it, you have to believe this verse is true. The secret of the Lord is with those who revere, honor, and respect him. If you do that, he'll tell you secrets. Sometimes it's good to hear a secret before you make a decision. Lord, let the manifestation of this verse come into this house. Let this be a house where you whisper secrets to your faithful people. In Jesus' name. And that's important because whatever you're worried about today, God's got the secret. Whatever the mystery is that you can't figure out, whatever that thing that's haunting your mind and buffeting you is, God has the secret. And I sensed this morning in prayer, I sensed that many of you are facing decisions that have financial implications attached to it. So I got a word for you. Go to Psalm 45. You might want to write this one down. Or not Psalm, Isaiah. Isaiah 45, verse 3. Isaiah 45, verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness. In other words, there's treasure to be had, but it's in the dark. No one sees it but God. I'll give you the treasures of the dark and hidden riches of you're slow, but you're worth waiting on. I'll give you hidden riches in secret places. God has a secret. For the financial situation that you're facing, God has a secret. For that thing you're trying to accrue and gather money for, God has the secret. For how you and your family can get out of renting and into owning, God has the secret. Unfortunately, the truth about our world is sometimes it boils down to relationship, who you know, not what you have. But God has the secret. Whatever thing, whatever thing, listen to me, whatever thing you need in your life right now, God has the secret. Lift up your hands and say, show me the secret. Tell me the secret. Give me the secret. And then finally, back to Psalms 25, verse 15. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. Notice this language. For he shall pluck 
my feet out of the net. Now, you ladies know all about plucking. got a hair that popped out on your beautiful chin and you don't want nobody to know that your chin could get hairs and that and that hair is kind of embedded in there so you take a pair of tweezers and you find that thing and you Katie said I could have said an eyebrow and that would have been a lot cleaner but That really would have been better. I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> but you got it, don't you? <laughs> you have to pluck it out because it's in there. You got to pluck it out. And David says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. In other words, a fowler, a hunter, a predator used a net to catch him. That's what sin does. That's what some people do. They try to lure you into a situation to trap you in a net, to trap you in a situation, to trap you in a scandal. And David said, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. In other words, I will never stop looking up. Not because of all the blessings and not because of the peace and the joy. David said, I have found out, God, and my favorite attribute about you is, is that every time I get into something that I cannot get myself out of, you have the ability to pluck me out of it. Now, notice he doesn't say, my eyes are ever before the Lord because he helped me avoid the net. No. No. Because some of us, we've had all the advice anyone could ever hope for. We've read all the good self-help books, and we've had all the information that we could possibly get, and yet we still made dumb choices that landed our feet in a net of despair, in a net of a bad situation, in the net of the results of bad decisions and negative circumstances. But even if you're one of those kind of people that find your feet caught in the net this morning, the good thing about God is no matter how strong the net is, he always has the ability to pluck you right up out of it. Have you ever had him just pull you out of something? Something that you got yourself into, something that was the result of your own choices, something you couldn't get yourself out of, but just in the nick of time, God came along and pulled you out of the situation. And I want to tell you, if he's ever done it once and if he's ever done it for anybody else, he can do it for you today. Today is not a day to despair. Today is not a day to mourn. Today is a day, no matter what you are going through, to rest your hope in the power and ability of God because whatever you're in this morning, he has the ability to get you out. If you're a witness of his ability to be able to get you out, you ought to give a great, merciful God a great, mighty praise. Thank you. Thank you for all the times you just... Can you let our Father hear the voice of somebody grateful that knows they've been pulled out?
I need to go to the next verse. I just keep thinking about things he pulled me out of. <laughs> you know, if you look at your life, you can actually define your life by the things God. Some of your kin folks and family members never thought you would have made it to the place you made it to because you had a series of bad choices following you and even a child is known by their doings. Nobody ever thought you would get up and the truth of the matter is you didn't. God pulled. God pulled you out from those people you were hanging around with. God pulled you out from the wrong crowd. God pulled you out from the wrong relationship. God you out from the wrong city. God pulled you out from the wrong environment. God pulled. And the thing I love about the verse is this wasn't a one-time instance. David said, my eyes are ever. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I've realized it's not just about what you've done for me in the past. God, I've learned you enough and I've learned me enough to know that all of my life, you're going to be me out. Maybe that's why he said in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You love me so much, you won't let their net get me. I want to tell every believer that God loves you so much that the enemy's net won't work. I don't know who it's for. I didn't want to go in this direction, but God loves you so much that that legal net won't work. God loves you so much that that lie at work will not work. God loves you so much that that slander will not work. God loves you so much that that net, that net will not work. Stand to your feet. Give him a praise. I'm done. The net won't work. I said the net won't work. I said the net won't work. I don't know what net it is, but the net won't work. I don't know why I have to keep saying it, but the net won't work. Holy Ghost got in me, started jumping, said, tell him the net won't work. This trap won't work. This thing won't work. This character assassination won't work. The net won't work. Push three people, say the net won't work. watching me online right now God said to tell you the net won't work net won't work ah, Jesus about to lose my mind and mess up a good service I just had an instinct to run up and start slapping every person I could, tell them in their ear, the net won't. Ah, Jesus. Can we just prophesy that? Can you just lift up your hand if you're in a battle or you're in a trial? And can you just speak to the enemy that's laying a trap for you? And can you shout as loud as you can, the net won't work?
net won't he said you he said you he said you've gotten me out of so many of them before that I've learned to have more confidence in your ability to deliver me than I've learned to have fear of the nets and the traps that are laid for me. And so David looked at his future and all of the things that were coming against him and he shrugged and he said, the net won't work. You're going to pluck me out every time. So number one, number one, before you make decisions, get all the information you can. Get all the information you can. Do your due diligence. Get all the information that you can. Number two, repent of your sin. You ain't got to come to an altar and squall and roll around and vomit stuff up and do anything crazy. David didn't do that. He said, Lord, for your name's sake, forgive my iniquity. And you got a better name than David had. You got the name of Jesus, the suffering Savior who bled and died and emptied his life on the cross to buy you back from the marketplace of sin and death. And when you evoke that name in faith and you pray, Lord, I repent. Help me turn from this mess. Help me turn from these behaviors. Help me turn from this activity and this attitude. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And then, number three, number three, when all else fails, because the reality is every decision you make ain't going to be a great one. And sometimes in life, you're going to get your feet caught in the net. But when all else fails, rely on the grace to pluck you out. Yeah. Number one, get all the information you can. Can't make good decisions without it. Number two, repent of your sins. Bring God into the decision-making process by restoring your relationship with him. Number three, when all else fails, rest in the grace to pluck you out. Number one, get all the information that you can. I don't mean to be redundant, but I'm speaking to somebody's life right now. If everybody else could just be patient for the people that I'm speaking to, this is your word. This is why God led you here. This is why you got up out of bed this morning and drove here. I'm speaking to you. Get all the information you can. Repent of your sin. Clear any blockages between you and heaven. Get right with God. He wants you to. He's waiting on you. He loves you. And then number three, when all else fails, rely on the grace to pluck you out. And finally, my fourth point that I didn't know was a point, and I speak it over you one more time, and I speak it over you in faith. I speak it over you under an apostolic anointing. The net won't work. The trap won't work in the name of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a praise all over the house. Just lift up your hands. Father, we receive your word in our spirits and we thank you for it. We ask that it would be fruitful and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I feel like 
maybe about 15 people need a hug. Why don't you go hug 15 people? More or less. Get all the information you can. Repent of your sin. Bring God into the decision. And finally, rest in the grace for him to pull you out. The net won't work. The net won't work. Net won't work. The net won't work. The net won't work. Listen, be seated real quick. Be seated real quick. Listen, I'm not gonna take I'm not gonna take along with this. I need to share this with you uh, under prompting from the Holy Spirit. Give me give me your ears for just a second. In um, in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, Peter is asking Jesus if there's gonna be any return on his investment of serving him and following him. So ask yourself that question, what's my return? Just sit there and ask yourself that, what's my return? Peter said, Lord, we've given up our lives to follow you and to serve you. We've given up time with our family, we've given up time with our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and homes. We've left our fields, which was indicative of their industry, their finances. We've sacrificed a lot of things to follow you. Is there a return on our investment? And for those of you that are givers, you give into the kingdom of God. And those of you that serve this house and you sacrifice, you get up and you leave early, you're losing time that you could be at home or time you could be with family to come here and to serve the house of God. Ask yourself, what's the return on this investment? And so Jesus responds to them in 29 verse 29 of Mark 10, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mother, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And that, that's a real simple verse, and you read it real fast, and you may not realize what he's saying, and I want to break it down to you, because our tithe, what we do in the beginning of the service, is something that belongs to God. You don't give God the tithe, you return it. 10% belongs to God, so it's not generous. It's returning out of obedience what belongs to him. But your offerings, your offerings to God are seeds. They are sacrifice. They are something you give God, not because you had to, but because you wanted to. And Jesus talks about the return on that investment. And he, he just uses real simple math. He said, nobody that has sacrificed either time and service or money, fields, land, crops, businesses, nobody that has sacrificed for me and the gospel, nobody, is gonna be without this promise to receive a hundredfold now in this time. That means in this lifetime, not in the sweet by and by when you die. So a hundredfold means a hundred times what you sacrificed, a hundred times what you gave. 
And um, when you learn this principle, and I can't pastor a church that I don't, that I don't lead in the things that have led me out, that I don't operate and teach in the systems that I've operated in. I have literally learned to sow my way out of negative situations. I've learned to sow my way into supernatural manifestations of increase and blessing. And I sensed today as I was praying for you, and it's why I'm sharing this with you, because this would be really easy to do in another setting or it'd be really easy just to not do. But I'm doing it because I feel the need. I sense there are several of you in here that have a $10,000 need in your life. I have no idea what you need the money for, but you're facing something and you have a $10,000 need. According to this principle that Jesus taught, a $100 seed will cause a $10,000 miracle to manifest because it's a hundred times whatever you give to Jesus and the gospel, whatever you give to God is multiplied back to you a hundred times. <clears throat> I live this. <clears throat> Our church is about to do a remodel program. And I don't know if you know this about us. You may be new. We don't do anything where we have to borrow from a bank. We do everything we do debt-free. But doing a major remodel, you know, just our bathrooms that we're about to redo, just our bathrooms are going to be between forty dollars and $45,000. And to get the money together, I need a $100,000 miracle. So I was in a service last week, and I did the math. I need a $100,000 miracle. And that equated out to a $1,000 seed. Because what I'm expecting to be my return was 100 times more than what I gave. If you need a $5,000 miracle, a $50 seed will do it. Because if you, if, you if you need it to come back to you according to Jesus' simple math, all you have to do is you just have to find out where you are in the equation. So I want you to think about if, if you're here and you have a need. If not, don't worry about it. You don't have to give in this offering. But if you're here and you have a need, this is a simple way to get heaven to move on your behalf. If you're here and you have a pressing financial need, if it's $10,000, get a $100 seed. If it's $5,000, get a $50 seed. If you have a $100,000 need, get a, get a $1,000 seed. Whatever place you're at where you need something to shift, you sow in correspondence to your need. That's what Jesus was teaching. In other words, it wasn't nebulous. Jesus wasn't telling them to be nebulous with their sacrifice or heretofore or just throwing it away. Jesus was getting specific. Do you remember when we talked about in Isaiah those hidden riches in secret places and in Psalms 25, God telling his people secrets? This is one of those secrets that you can sow into the kingdom of God and reap a return that God is responsible for bringing. So I want you to just lift up your hands right now. Close your eyes. What do you need from the Lord? What's that big pressing financial need? What's that big thing? Have the faith to sow and receive a hundredfold return. Reach that hand that's up in front of you and get you an offering envelope. And I want you to put whatever you're sowing, whatever you're giving, whatever you feel to give today, 
I want you to put that on your envelope, and then somewhere on the back, I just want you to write 100-fold or 100 times return and watch God bring it into your life. There's no limit that God has of how he can bless you. So whatever it is, what do you need? What do you need? What's going on in your financial life? What needs do you need to be met? So accordingly. If it's a $10,000 need, get a $100 seed. If it's a $5,000 need, get a $50 seed. If it's a $100,000 need, get a $1,000 seed. Depends on what you need. Line it up and move in faith, and I know God will respond. Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. If you're giving towards something like that, if you have an offering of any kind, you'd like to give it, you can come now and bring it to the altar. I pray the Lord your God bless you. I pray the Lord your God keep you. I pray he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace and bless you all the days of your life. In the name of Jesus.